2: And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've used for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, it contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon and Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so, giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone, or send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a comment or question or feedback from you, we'll address it on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. And we'd be appreciative of anybody who chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. That intention is to be a service. So how may we be a service? We've had um, a couple of days now, Friday and yesterday, where Tim Bingham called in and got some assistance with two different worksheets. One of them is the Diedrich Wolzak worksheet that we did on Friday, and yesterday was a Michael Rice reality management worksheet, and um, those shows are in the archives, available for you to access and listen to again and again. We encourage people to listen to those and or call us with comments and questions about how those either resonated well for you or raised new questions for you. It's actual, it's what we highly prefer in this work is when people actually call in and say, okay, I'm trying to do this work and I need a little assistance. And that makes for um, a better show all the way around for everybody involved. It makes it easier for all of us to make progress in the use of these tools. And it helps all of us, even those who have been doing this work for a lot of years, refine our practice, understand it more deeply, and um, and just, you know, overall get better and better at the practice of applying these tools in my life so that my life status, my life relationships my life experience improves. And that's why I say, you know, these are the some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. And the essence of that statement is they're only powerful, effective, and efficient if I use them. They're accessible because they're on the Internet for free, But they only have that power and effectiveness if I actively apply them in my life when I have an upset, when I've got a drama or a trauma, when I've got an anxiety or an anger. And if I'm willing to apply these tools, I can get a tremendous change in my experience of life for the better. And that's what we're here to support people in being able to do. We've also been working through the the book, The Way of Mastery, and reading it with commentary for the second time in two years. And um, basically it'll be the second time in three years because we started it at the beginning of last year, the beginning of 2022. So with all of 2022, we worked through... uh, the, um, the Way of Mastery as a book with commentary. And now, here near the end of 2023, we're starting in again. And we've had a couple, I think all four or five days last week, four of the five days last week, we were reading parts of the first and second lesson with commentary, and those files are available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website on a page labeled specifically for that. Area code 717, you're in the air. How can we support you? Are you talking to me? Yes, 717, area code.
1: (laughs) Okay. Sorry, I didn't pick that up. Hi. Um, I don't know if, uh, well, it's probably normal. I... uh, read about Michael's, um, you know, papers, the seven step papers, I'd say about 10 years ago. I mean, it really changed my life. I realized that I'm responsible for attracting so many things into my life that I thought I was a victim of. And it was wonderful. And then here comes the but. <laughs> I um, I stopped doing them because I became so frustrated. Like I go into this, uh, I could tell you it's my ADHD or whatever, but it's like this, I just get trapped in this frustrated loop that I keep going over the same thing and that I'm not doing it right because it's like the same thing over and over. And um, I just don't know what to do, how to get out of that.
2: Well, I think that's uh, an excellent question. How do you get out of that? And what is it? that you're stuck in. Are you stuck in doing the same worksheet on the same kind of an issue? or are well, you Well, on every
1: worksheet, the- okay, whatever the issue is on every worksheet, it always comes down to I'm not doing it right. Um, so it always comes, it ends up, no matter what other issue I'm working on, it always comes up to I'm doing this wrong, and I get frustrated with myself because I'm doing it bad. I'm never going to get it right. You know, and so then I have
2: okay. to do worksheets on okay. that, because Michael said... Oh, okay, okay. So, so hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Okay. What is it that you're doing wrong? The worksheet? Yes, I'm doing so the, the worksheet a, you wrong. Have thought, I'm not. You have a thought process in your mind that tells you you're doing the worksheet yes. wrong? And, and oh, yeah. what is the set of conclusions <laughs> that you used or the set of thoughts you used to draw that conclusion?
1: Um, because... My mind will wander while I'm doing it, and then I think, oh, look how much more I have to do. It's too much. And then that frustration that I'm not getting out of it what I should be getting out of it, um, it just goes back to that I do stuff wrong, so why bother? That's kind of what it always goes back to.
2: Okay. And is that a theme in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So one thing is that theme and I do things wrong, Michael would say, so that's gonna be one of your seventy seven times seventy worksheet issues. Have you heard that phrase before? Uh,
1: oh yes. Yeah. And I feel like I've done seventy seven times seventy seven. And I, I get and, I don't want and, to keep and, and, doing them.
2: Oh, okay, but now listen, here's what that means.
1: Okay.
2: Right? It's it's not a literal number. It's the idea that if you, if, if you understand from numerology that 7 is the number of completion and if you add a 0 to a number, it means infinity, that's a statement that says, mm-hmm. for my core issues, I'm going to need to be willing to do an infinite number of worksheets until I'm complete. And if I think I'm going to be done with this issue or any other issue, What I've done right there is build a trap for myself and slam it closed. We're all, as Guy Finley would say, we are all under instruction. We are all a work in progress. We're always growing and learning about ourselves, and we're never going to be done with any issue. At the same time, we can make significant progress in any issue. And yet the, the idea that I'm going to be done with an issue is similar to putting bl- a blindfold on and marching out into a minefield. Yeah. You know, you might walk all the way through it and not set up a mine, and you might think, well, that was great. Or you might take two or three steps before you step on a landmine. That's us in life. If I think I'm done with my issue of worrying that I'm not doing it right, or I think I'm done with my issue of low self-esteem. I just set myself up for failure. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's the first thing, just to understand that there is no being done and there is making progress.
1: Well, I made so, progress.
2: <laughs> there you go. So that's it. And so you're a success, right? Right there, you, you've, just, you've just fit the definition for success. What is that? Making progress.
1: Making progress. Well, that helps because I'm just beginning to – it feels like being a failure over and over when the same thing I just – yes, I know Michael says the same thing comes up for other people. (laughs) But somehow I think, well, that's come up for me so many times. I should be done with it. Other people can deal with their stuff over and over, but I should be be done with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, because if not, if you have that label and you're not done with it, you've got that decision in your mind and you're not done with it, guess what it means?
1: You've got get a choice. It's,
2: it's <laughs> evidence that you're failing and that you're not getting it right. Yeah. And if that yeah. I don't get things right and I'm not worthy because I don't get things right, if that's one of your core beliefs, you've got to find ways to make it true. In your experience, there's no truth in it except the truth you you give it by repeating that belief.
1: Right. Mm.
2: It isn't true, and yet you can make yourself feel it's true. And then you just reenact, oh, yeah, that's me screwing up.
1: Yes. Yes. Over and over. Well, I was blaming um, the papers. I was blaming the papers for a long time their fault that i keep messing up. But you know, to try to protect it from being my fault, but that doesn't work because that's not true.
2: Well, but i don't I could know if see you myself
1: caught... flailing around looking for things to blame.
2: I don't know if you caught yesterday's show. No. Did you listen to me? Okay, so yesterday we had a gentleman call in. He's at least in his 70s and he had called in on Friday and done a worksheet and we called in yesterday to do another different kind of worksheet. And, um, this is a memory. It, it it goes back to a memory of trauma that he had when he was four years old Mm -hmm. and he's in his seventies and he's (laughs) still working on an issue that happened when he was four. And he's, he's known about these tools for five or six years. Yeah. And so part of the 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 discussion we had at the end of the processing yesterday was that this is normal for us as human beings that we have these core issues or these foundational patterns. You know, you, you could say they they were the the formative years and the developmental patterns that came out of my formative years. And it could be I always screw things up, or it could be I'm unlovable, or it could be, um, you know, any negative thought which is re- well rehearsed into a pattern. And if I uncover one of those in my experience of doing any kind of work, whether it's this Michael Rice's work or Guy Finley's work or Diedrich Wolzak's work or Byron Cady's work, if I uncover one of those patterns, I'm going to be dealing with it for the rest of my life mm-hmm. or I'm going to pretend I'm done with it and when it gets triggered, as it will, I will blame the worksheet or the other people <laughs> around me for having the problem. I won't be willing to look at it as my own issue.
1: Yes, because I'm tired so, of looking at it.
2: Right, so the right, right. So, yes. then, so then there's a wonderful worksheet to do on I'm overwhelmed or I'm fatigued or I'm tired of looking at it. Okay. I can do a worksheet on feeling like I'm screwing up the worksheets or I'm doing them wrong.
1: Oh, I have. I have. And then it's like this vicious cycle. I feel like that's all I'm doing is work and I'm never getting, you know, that's, I think it's my, I get overwhelmed because it's so many these issues pop up and it's just so much. And I feel like I'm, drowning and have and have, so and,
2: and have you, you done frustrated. have you done worksheets on the feeling of being overwhelmed?
1: Oh yeah. The and then I get mad at myself because I shouldn't be overwhelmed anymore. Oh yeah. Okay. And then it's stop. <laughs> I'm telling you it's a, and oh, I'm okay. sure I'm not okay. the only so, one.
2: So, <laughs> no, you are not the only one. And do you do other tools other than the worksheet? I
1: um what do you mean?
2: I mean do you what do, do you other tools? Breath work or the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter tool.
1: Oh, the mind shifters? You mean with the dragons and?
2: Uh, no, I mean. I don't. I'm not. I mean. Okay. A, a mind shifter is a targeted journaling process. Okay. No. Okay. So here's a here's a here's a process that, in in psychology, people call journaling or targeted journaling, and Michael Rice calls it the mind shifter tool, where you mark out carve out of your life a specific amount of time. It, the The important part is that you make a commitment to 15 minutes, half an hour, hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever, but you make the commitment before you start and you turn off the phone and the radio and all the distractions and now you're going to sit in this comfortable chair at this desk or table and you're going to do nothing but write about this targeted journaling experience and in michael's plan you take an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper you've got a stack of blank papers there and on the top one you draw a line he says down the center i do it a third of the way from the left margin to the right margin a vertical line down the paper then on the left side of the paper you write a statement and we'll talk about what that statement is, and then you give yourself time to just respond to it. So you might write a statement in a situation like you have now, it's safe and healing for me to see myself as wildly successful in every area of my life. What's the first thought that comes to mind when you hear that statement? No, it's
1: not. You're a liar.
2: There you go. That's what you would yes. write on the right hand side of the page. Okay. And and if if more if that's if you write no it's not and you're a liar, then you could draw a blank, then you rewrite the statement again on the left side of the line. But if okay. you if you say, No, it's not and you're a liar and I can give you a hundred reasons why and it begins with when I was seven, when this then you just keep writing that. Okay. And you and, and you write that way until you run blank or dry, and then you rewrite the statement on the left side of the sheet of paper just like you did the first time. It's just repeating, and, and you know, in, in a sense it's like banging a tuning fork. The very same statement written over and over again is stirring up the same kinds of Mm-hmm. energies that are going to resonate with the negative beliefs in your mind and then right. they start pouring out on the page on the right hand side and when you first begin a process like that there may not be any surprises about what shows up that you write on the right side of the page it might be all old familiar stuff oh boy I've been through this so many times and I hate rehashing this And but yes. if you stick with it For the hour that you say you're going to do your journaling and you just keep rewriting the target statement, it's going to stir up stuff. And maybe if you write, let's say you write seven or eight pages worth of stuff, and you can honestly say, you know, there's nothing new here. But if you keep rereading it over the next day or two, several times a day, you're probably going to see patterns and connections associations, and beliefs that you weren't aware of. You might remember old events that you've remembered many, many times before, but this time when you remember it, there's a whole other aspect of it that hadn't been coming to conscious awareness before. And that aspect either provides a shocking shift in perception or it gives you another target for some more worksheets.
1: Okay.
0: Hmm. There's another... I
1: have to be okay with repetition. And not instead of feeling like I'm failing, because I'm doing it over and over.
2: Yes. Well, and here's the thing is... Here's the thing is, we choose the belief we have about how it's bad or wrong to be repeating this. Right. So you could choose to be okay with repeating it. Yeah.
1: That's how I'm learning to reprogram myself. I was programmed through repetition, you know, before I was even conscious of it. That's how I think of it. I was programmed as a child because things happened to me repeatedly that were not things I would have, you know, <laughs> not the best things. And I have to choose to program that repetition to get reprogrammed or deprogrammed. I have to choose that or I'm choosing to stay in the old program. It's just, it's, yeah. I guess I, I just have to decide to stop, keep thinking in my mind. I'm not even realizing that I'm thinking I'm frustrated, but then I get, it's like my mind gets so upset and, and I don't know. I'm like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. And I realize that it's the frustration because I feel like I'm just overwhelmed because I'm not getting Done. I'm not getting yes.
2: done. Yes, or 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 the progress that some part of your mind is telling you, you should be having. Yes, and and there are other tools Michael has. You know, the one that comes to mind next is the three early memories of conflict. Okay. And in that tool, Michael suggests that we list three of the early memories of conflict that come to mind and write them on a sheet of paper. And then he has this worksheet, and you fill out a set of blanks for each of the three memories. And by the time you're done with that, you start to realize, oh, my gosh, the upset or the conflict that I had yesterday or the, the conflict I'm generating about not being able to do these worksheets better is exactly the same pattern of response that I developed when I was five years old and this happened or nine years old and that happened. Yes. Yeah. And, and it gives us another way to start realizing, oh, wait, I'm thinking of myself as a competent adult. And as a competent adult, gee, why can't I do these worksheets better?
0: But in actuality,
2: <laughs> I'm not really functioning like a competent adult. Once I get triggered to feeling I'm not doing it right or that I'm overwhelmed, I'm functioning mm-hmm. like the traumatized five-year-old.
1: Yes, or exactly. Nine-year-old. That's how I feel. That's exactly.
2: Exactly. Feel. <laughs> exactly. And like so I that's a really good.
1: Anymore.
2: <laughs> that's a really good place to learn do you know the EFT tapping process?
1: Yeah. I I'm yeah, that never worked for me, but um EMDR worked great. Sometimes I can do that. Tapping never seemed to help too much though.
2: The the what never helped?
1: Uh the tapping um, Okay. How much have about? you done it? Yes.
2: I and did how it much have the, you done the it? Therapist? And oh, I did it with the therapist. That, it was really cool. Yeah. Process. Here's a good question for you. I think it's good. Maybe you maybe okay. you won't. But here's a question for you. <laughs> Did you come up with the same conclusion? I must not be doing it right because it's not giving me the results yes. I want. Yes. I Did
1: was doing it wrong, ring, and I couldn't.
2: That, there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> So With the eye movement, I could be, just move my eyes.
1: <laughs> yes, it may, it, it's
2: hard It's
1: complicated. It, it, may not,
2: <laughs> it may not be the tapping that's the problem, right? It may be the holding oh. on to the old conclusion that I can't afford to let this work because if I do, yeah. then I'll have to admit I'm good at something.
1: Well, it was so complicated for me to remember which part to tap it. And then I got so frustrated that I couldn't think straight. <laughs> so it was probably like a exactly. five-year-old trying to do it.
2: Exactly. And and that's how all of us are, right? When my stuff gets triggered from when I was four or five years old and I am in the emotions of that traumatic response, it doesn't matter that I've had 13 years of training for tapping. (laughs) I can't tap right. right. And I get overwhelmed and I can't remember where the points are. Right? Because That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm not I'm not a well trained therapist doing EFT tapping. When that happens, I'm the traumatized six year old.
1: Oh my gosh! So okay, that well that makes so much more sense. I just thought this this stuff does not work. I I can't feel it right.
2: <laughs> exactly. And what's most oh, wow. likely happening at that time is an early memory of trauma or early memories of conflict and the associated patterns yes. that you downloaded back then are getting activated in you, and you are no yes. longer in that moment functioning as a competent adult. No. And just that that I felt shame all of us. And, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And exactly. that shame just made it, well, this is making me feel worse. I don't like
2: <laughs> yep, I better I better stop it because I want to. I'm starting to do this because I want to feel better, and the more I do it, I right. just feel worse.
1: Yes. Um. Yes. I was feeling so much worse because I couldn't get it right. Oh, that makes so much sense. And I honestly just thought, well, this crap does not work. I don't care how many other people it works with. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Perfect. Wow.
2: That's exactly what happens to all of us when we're triggered to upset. That's not a private issue that you have. You haven't even given me a name yet, so I can't say that your first name, but... Oh, I'm Melissa, you, sorry. Melissa? Melissa? Melissa. With an M? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's not a private issue yes. just for Melissa. Right. This is what happens to every human being when he or she is triggered they oh start gosh. functioning from the level of mindset, the world view, the active resources and skill set that they had at the time they were triggered at the time that they downloaded wow. that trauma.
1: Wow. Okay, well, I guess now I might try that again.
2: Well, and Pick we out. have a support group tonight, right? Uh, we have free support groups on Tuesdays and Thursday night, available through Zoom from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time that you could tap into and get even more support. There are, there, as I mentioned, that Three Early Memories of Conflict Worksheet is available free on Michael's and Jeannie's website. On under, you know, If you click on the Start Here link and then it takes you to that page where you start scrolling down and there are worksheets. Well, the... The beginning worksheets are the ones about the reality management worksheets and all the different versions of it. But if you keep going, there'll be the three early memories of conflict worksheet and the mind goal management worksheet and the responsibility communication worksheet, etc. Okay. Yeah.
1: Maybe that's just overwhelming thinking about it <laughs> just cuz it's more stuff.
2: Well, and, yeah. and here's here's another thing that, you know, um, Brad Yates is um, on YouTube. Do you know him?
1: Yeah, I've heard of him. I'm, okay, I Okay, so I've far, seen, so the I've EFT, EFT Tapping.
0: I mean. Well, he
2: is, he is for the EFT Tapping. He's a, a person that I've interviewed twice, and I've recommended for years now, I've recommended that my patients, because I quit teaching the EFT Tapping class, because it just wasn't viable for me anymore in terms of time and effort, but right. I recommend people go to his YouTube channel and and do the original five minute. Here's how to tap with Brad, and then search Brad Yates. I'm not good enough, or Brad Yates. I'm a failure, or Brad Yates overwhelmed, and tap oh, along wow. with his seven or nine his seven or nine minute video specifically for that. I think he's got over a thousand videos uploaded now. Okay. And and it's very solid. He has some. Very good training in hypnosis and other things that he blends into it. He stays very close to what the the originator of the EFT tapping um, did. That's why when I refer people to that, they say, oh, my gosh, Dr. Hayes, it's like taking the class with you because (laughs) Brad stayed very close to what Gary Craig did, and that's what I do when I teach the class.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you um picking up my call. I just um I know that uh, Michael said, you know, we have the same thing that will come up again and again. I don't know why. It just frustrates me that it comes up no matter what topic I'm dealing
2: with. Okay, and so I let's guess I to let let me let me let me give you another key to okay. making progress. You ready? Yes. Yeah. It does not frustrate Melissa. Okay. This is a big key. It's not just a semantics game. This is one of the most important keys in this work. If I keep saying it frustrates me, I am training my mind to believe that something outside of me is causing frustration. And if I train my mind to believe that something outside of me is causing frustration, that means if I want to be rid of frustration, I have to get away from that thing on the outside of me, or I have to suffer until it stops because I'm not in control of my frustration when I keep telling myself it frustrates me. Does that make sense? Oh, yes.
1: What am I to say?
2: Well, um, you can pick (laughs) practically anything else that that talks about your agency at creating your own emotions. So. (laughs) Oh, boy, I generate a lot of frustration when I label this this way. Or, oh, boy, look what I'm making it mean when this happens. Or, like, oh, I'm choosing to get frustrated again. Is that okay? I
1: just chose to get frustrated again. I can let that go. Okay.
2: Yeah, or wow, here's my old pattern of frustration coming up. Let me do some breathing, tapping, or a worksheet. Or let me figure out what the goal is. Maybe I don't have time to do a whole worksheet, but let me just get a real quick assessment of what's the goal I'm holding right now that's not getting met. Let me just take a breath and say I cancel this thought that I'm frustrated and I cancel the goal for anything to change and see what happens in my energy system.
1: Okay. I choose to cancel the goal of This no longer coming up. If it comes up, it comes up.
2: If it comes up, it comes up. I'm canceling my goal to be done with this. Right. (laughs) I'm canceling my goal to be done with I'm canceling my goal to be perfect. Right. I'm canceling my goal to be better at this work. Yeah. Whatever the goal is in the moment. Yeah, (laughs) whatever the goal is in the moment, when you're feeling the frustration... Use that process. Take a nice, deep, cleansing breath. Hold it for a couple seconds when your lungs are comfortably full. And slow the exhale down so that it's a nice, long, slow exhale. And then just ask yourself, what's the goal I'm holding? Oh, what will happen if I cancel that goal? And watch what happens next.
1: Yes. Okay, I'm going to work on this and not choose frustration. It doesn't have to be a permanent choice. <laughs> and have when
2: I do choice. that, if I do that and put it on a worksheet and I cancel uh-huh. that and then ask to be shown, I might allow, I might soften enough that a memory of trauma bubbles up and I get a whole different awareness of what this is connected to in my consciousness.
1: Okay. Hmm. Okay. I'm really kind of hoping no more of those come up, though, but I guess I got to get rid of that hope too. <laughs> if stuff comes up, it's meant to. Yeah.
2: Well, if you just keep living life, it will. Yeah. Stuff will come up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh,
1: I just keep thinking that once you get to a certain point, that old stuff doesn't need to come up. The stuff that's irrelevant can just stay gone. But I guess some stuff that I think should be irrelevant pops up and maybe it wasn't so irrelevant. And that's okay.
2: Well, and the yeah. idea is that if you have frustration, if you have negative thoughts and beliefs about yourself that you're carrying around in your mind, in your body's energy system. They are disintegrative energies in Dr. Michael Rice's work. These things are wearing on you. So Mm. it's actually a good thing that life brings us these situations that we can interpret in a certain way that resonates those energies so they come to our awareness so we can actually dismantle them.
0: To dismantle the yeah, energies. It is a to dismantle
2: thing. the attachment to the belief that I need to get this right or that I should be done.
1: Can I tell you something that happened because of uh, finding Michael Rice years ago? <laughs> yes. Do you, do you want to know it? Or, um, when I was a kid, I used to get hit a lot from the back when I wasn't aware. Um, so that's a lot of shock trauma when your head's slammed into a wall. Well, I got yeah. married, and he's not abusive, and I was very proud of myself because I didn't have any abuse. Well, what happened was I got hit in like four or five car accidents. None of them were my fault. None of them, like literally. All of them, someone slammed into me from the side or the back. One time or herd a deer slammed into my car, and it hit me. I'm listening to Michael Rice, and um, I got hit in the back by some woman driving like a crazy person, and all of a sudden it became clear. Oh, my God, I was recreating. I was the one attracting that. My field was attracting it because it was all I knew. And even though I was so proud that I got away from abusive people, well, herds of deer were attacking my car. Like, you know, someone shot in in a field and they all apparently came. But that has not happened again, and it's been uh, 17 years, I think. (laughs) But it all became clear in one moment of clarity that I – That was my responsibility because my field was attracting it. And uh, anyway, that that's really amazing, and it's really true.
2: And I just wanted to say that.
1: No more. um, I
2: I thank you for the sharing, and I will remind you that uh, there's a support group available through Zoom. It's free. It's on um, six thirty to nine p.m. uh, Central Time tonight on Tuesdays, most Tuesdays and Thursdays. And all the information you would need to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And there's a separate info page for Tuesdays' login and a separate one for Thursdays' login. Okay.
1: Thank you so much for your help. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to...
2: You're very welcome. And disturbing. Excuse me? And, And that... I said you're very welcome and deserving and that might be another Again. thing you could put on your mind shifter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm okay, completely so deserving <laughs> of, of, of the help and support to uh, to release these issues.
1: Yeah. I appreciate it.
2: All, All right. right. Thank you. All right. Okay. You're Bye-bye. welcome.
1: Blessing. Bye.
2: We have someone who's calling in through a Skype number. You're in the air. Hi, how are you today? Fine. How can we support you? Uh, my name is Harry Lime, and I'm looking for somebody. Are you able to use your, your gifts to find people? No. No, that's not what we do on this on this show. We do the kind of work we were just doing in that call. We have worksheets, and we have uh, targeted journaling, and we have support people in dismantling their negative emotional states and difficulties with relationships. And lots and lots and lots of It's free at W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. Oh, well, maybe you actually you probably could help me in a different way with my buddy Marv. Um, we both That call drops, so we have plenty of time to take a comment or a question. 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Any comments, any questions about the processing that was done Friday or yesterday with Tim Bingham and or what Melissa was just doing on the show so far today. Nice little refresher about the history of or our listing of some of the other tools that are available on um, the MindShifters, uh, whyagain.org on the worksheets page that go way beyond uh, what's available on the app or what's available in just a reality management worksheet. And when, when, when you get stuck, that's one of the wonderful things about this set of tools, is that if you're doing a worksheet and you're not making progress, there are other worksheets you can do. There's the breath work you can do. There's the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter you can do there's EFT tapping or there's the worksheets, I'm sorry, the uh, support groups that you could tap into and help you help yourself make a shift in the process break a log jam as it were so five six three nine 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 three five eight one and or if you're somewhere where you can access the computer, you can get in the chat room if you just give Blog Talk your email address and name and you can type in a question or a comment or an observation. We've got about fifteen minutes left in the show, and I'm hesitant to get back into reading lesson two in the way of mastery because of what that'll do for the recording, since this was primarily a a show about doing processing. I was um, talking to somebody else in a session earlier this morning about the, the process of choosing the focus of our attention and how as I choose to focus my attention, whether it's in a relationship or in a job or in anything else in my life, I choose to focus it on something that I don't like, whether it's the clothes somebody else is wearing or something they said or the way they're eating their food or the way they're organizing or not organizing their materials at work or at home. When I focus on that, I generate the negative emotional state within me that comes along with that judgment. And when I shift the focus, of my awareness over to a list of things that is something that I can be positive about or appreciate in the other person, I get an instantaneous shift in my internal experience. And that's how we can stay in relationships long enough for them to deepen and deepen our connection and appreciation to people in relationship by understanding that we are actively creating our experience, and that experience, whether it is of irritation or frustration or overwhelm, just like in the situation with Melissa, we were coaching her to be aware of the fact that the outside situation is not frustrating her, and yet she can generate a tremendous amount of frustration if she keeps thinking the same thought patterns and pouring her mind energy into the same thought patterns over and over again. One of the things that uh, we were talking about fairly recently is the idea that whether I realize it or not, I'm creating the meaning that I experience for everything in my life. Nothing has any meaning for me unless I decree it so. And that's part of what we're experiencing in the Way of Mastery lesson Two, It says what you decree is. So if I say this means X, Y, and Z, For me, that's what it means. Even if for nobody else on the planet, that experience or those words have that meaning, it doesn't matter. Area code
0: 610. Hi, Dr. Sim. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks. What Melissa said toward the end is how she was attracting, she realized she was attracting um, being hit. Um, my question is because something has come up between Tim Bingham and me that's quite new. Um, we have a small kitchen, and when I'm, and I've mentioned this before. When I'm working in the kitchen, I'll go from one side to get a, a spoon and another side to put the cutting board out and get stuff from the refrigerator. And Tim is is big, and he walks in the kitchen and. My reaction is, this never happened. For years, it never happened. And it isn't because our kitchen is small. I think something has surfaced that didn't surface until now. My question is, why would something surface till now? I sort of jump, and I, my interpretation is that he is encroaching somehow. He's not a friendly um, Um, entity coming in here like this. And you'll say, what's the matter? Can't we work together in the kitchen? And I take a breath and I think, yeah, why not? But then I go around to the other side of the kitchen and he says, why don't you just stay here and work? And I said, well, why don't you finish what you're doing and then I'll go back and do my stuff. So there's a literal physical thing, but my reaction is not right. It's too much. And so there's that. And there's the my question to you stands, why would this be showing up now? After all these years of being together, maybe it's because of the work I've been doing, suddenly something else comes up that I can look at? Yes, yes, yes,
2: right there. Okay. You're, it's just like we talk about how when we read the Way of Mastery a second or third or 18th time, we're not the same person <laughs> yeah. when we yeah. read it the first right. time. Well, when you're in the kitchen with your husband today, you're not the same person you were six years ago, Mm -hmm. guaranteed, especially when you've been doing work like this. None of us stay the same person Mm -hmm. five or six years in a row, whether we're doing self-growth work or not. But it's really Mm -hmm. more obvious when people are doing their own personal self-improvement work. Mm Mm-hmm that i'm 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 not the same i've got some differences so something that you didn't have the strength or the resilience or the confidence that you could work through now you have that confidence and that strength and that resilience and or the confidence in the tools and your mind is saying okay Susan can handle this so here's a here's a different level of issue here's one about encroachment or physical safety or threat
0: Mhm yeah, and it it seems it surprises me that this is makes all kinds of sense, considering the physical you know harshness that my little sister and I experienced in the house and often it did come as a surprise from behind. So when Melissa yes. said from behind, I thought, oh my god. There you go. <laughs> there it is. There you go. Yeah, thank there you Melissa. Is. There's <laughs> yeah. there's
2: an in there's an inroad to the energy resonance, the meaning you're giving it that is
0: yeah, going to be of
2: so so much value in uncovering it. Mhm. Follow mm-hmm. that trail of breadcrumbs. Yeah. and notice notice how you're still using a phrase like physical harshness
0: hmm. well i tried instead to temper of, it it was it was worse right. <laughs> instead of the,
2: it was beatings it was physical abuse it was beatings it was
0: you mm-hmm. know it was
2: coming out of your mother's rage it was not mm-hmm. harsh mhm it yeah. was a beating But notice how some part of your mind doesn't want to let that in.
0: Yeah, and I've put it on Tim Bingham somehow, and a much there's a visceral sense of. Well, crowding at the very least, unsafety, also unkindness, and all he's doing is coming in to get a glass of water and put ice in or something. And uh, I've made it mean, I've, and I know it doesn't. I even at the time I know it doesn't mean that. But I want, but I want to say, can't you wait till I'm finished? And of course, I'm not going to be finished for fifteen minutes sometimes because I'm trying to. And I don't like cooking, so when I'm in there having to cook, <laughs> it's a big deal. I've gotten my, my willpower up, and don't come in here and interrupt my willpower. Yeah, there's a lot to work on here. Yeah, too much on the for the radio show, but I know what to do with it. I've got the tools. Yeah.
2: Well, try to breathe into it and soften and look at a couple of these different aspects, like, Wow. I just don't want to use words to accurately describe this, which means Mm. I'm still hiding from myself several aspects of this.
0: It was blaming my mother. If I used that word, I'd be implicating her, and I don't want to do that. She couldn't help it. She was at her wits end.
2: Listen, uh, listen. I understand that aspect,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
2: But this is not about her. She's not here right now trying to unload the energies she downloaded. It's you trying to download the energies or to dismantle the energies you downloaded. Mm -hmm. And so the more you're not willing to talk about how you experienced it, it doesn't mean we're taking out billboards along the road to get everybody we know to hate your mother, even though she's no longer in the body. This is just noticing how hesitant you are to be directly, openly, wide-openly honest about what your experience of that was. And the more that you shy away from those words or descriptions, the more you hide from yourself the very thing you need to see and unpack.
0: Okay, Melissa, if you're still on, I have to work through something that I've been working through for years. Just like you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we all. Yep, we all are. So, Doctor Tim, I have a totally other tiny thing, a little tool that I learned on the internet. So I've been doing a lot of reading about OCD because of one of my grandsons his relationship type OCD, and I won't go into what that is. But I've been doing novenas for his peace of mind and his relationship with his father, that it can be comfortable and peaceful. And I was listening to a young woman talking about how she handles her very intrusive OCD, and she said, all I say to myself is, come back. Come back to now. Come back right here. Because her mind's spinning off in 20 directions. She says, I just say to myself, come back. Well, I, I don't have OCD, but I've been using that a lot to get away from anything that isn't quite a pleasant thought, just to come back, and then I can do the Walzak. This is about me. I'm choosing this and so forth, but it's just a cool little mantra. It's
2: perfect. It's Very right helpful. out of Guy Finley. It's, it's is it? perfect. It's right out of – oh, yeah, absolutely, and and a lot of other teaching. It's be here now. It's bring come back to the yeah. present. Mm Jack Finley would say in a lot of his talks, come awake. Mm. Come back here. Ah, Wake up. Take a breath. Take a breath because your brain needs the oxygen. Take a breath because when you do that, you're focusing inside yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Come awake. Mm, Nice.
2: So... You've done it again. You helped us get to the end of the hour. Thank you for that. Good luck um, with some worksheets and journaling and unpacking what's happening in the kitchen. And especially good luck with being honest about the intensity of your experience when your mother's rage would erupt. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's not like blaming her. It's not like having forgotten to or been unable to forgive her. I've been doing that. but. Yeah, this is just
2: Yeah. open, honest description of the intensity of the impact mm-hmm. on you.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. Thank you. Thank Many you, blessings. Yeah. You're very welcome You're and too. deserving. I'll mute you and so you can listen to the next hour if you wish. Today is our last hour of Aramaicisms, and Michael should be back the rest of the week. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. This is your second hour. Ruka.
3: Ruka. Ruka de kusha.
4: Hm. going to talk about kosher. Sure. Well, you know, first of all, kusha. Anybody ever heard the word kosher? Hmm. comes from this right here. Uh, If you look at that in the scholarly sense, what it actually, the word kudja means is intended for mankind. Something that is holistic and whole for mankind. If you look at it, just literally, as its root sounds, it literally means whole, all-encompassing, all-embracing. This here is the word Holy Spirit. First of all, I mentioned just briefly, I mentioned last night a lot about spirit, about how it was more accurately breath in Aramaic and how breath and spirit were not two separate things back then. That happened when Latin spread itself out across the kingdom and then all of a sudden you had breath and you had spirit. Now today we're looking for spirit and we're looking for spiritual things, not realizing that what we're looking for is what is looking. And the greatest way to connect with spirit is And I said yesterday, if you want to understand Yeshua's teachings better in the first century Aramaic perspective, cross out the word spirit and write breath above it. Sounds very Buddhist almost. That's going to give you a much more accurate understanding. The idea of an outside or somehow disembodied spirit that we can't see would have been such a foreign concept that if he were to talk like that, nobody would even know what he was talking about. Not that everybody understood what he was talking about anyway. So this rucha here is... That's that word for breath, spirit, energy. It would be pneuma in the Greek, spiritus in the Latin. An elemental force. This is rukha right here, okay? Now, intriguingly, the word's rukha. So technically, that means this. Rukha is not technically the force, but rather our experience of it. That's what rukha is. And I said yesterday that in, in the first century Aramaic understanding, being Feminine, what I feel on my arm is not breath in the way that we think of it. What I feel on my arm is just hot air. Breath in Aramaic, in ancient Aramaic, was not the hot air that moves through my body, but rather my feminine experience of its movement. Everybody breathing right now? I can feel like a... That's a lot different, isn't it? Yeshua wasn't pointing to things and saying, do this and don't do that and look at that word and that word and walk this and walk that there and do that there and that right there. He was talking about coming back to the eye within the eye and realizing that you can actually answer the question, are you breathing or are you being breathed? Ruha breathes you when you get your breath moving and you allow your temple to open, she, which is what she was called in the first century, someone can just flippantly in the middle of a conversation say she, and people would know they were talking about the Holy Spirit. Rucha the Kudshah, the all-embracing breath of God. And there's a lot of amazing power in th- this is the word of, this is, this da, buh, is a little prefix, the dalit, which essentially means uh, of, To put it that way. Interesting. And, if you can just be aware of your breath and understand the only reason you can't breathe in any moment is because things are up and resonating. And if you don't know how to forgive, you're never going to be able to open your temple, ever. Because there's always going to be residue there. There's always going to be junk that's going to keep that from happening.
3: And it's interesting when, uh, when he's talking to Nicodemus about this. Mm. Nicodemus doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. The leader of the Jews. This is it. And Yeshua says, what? Are you a leader? You don't understand this? And then, notice what he defaults to. He then explains to him an elemental force. This, is, this word is, uh, is used to describe all of the elemental forces. And in particular, there's one for humans, but he, he gives Nicodemus the example of this elemental force called the wind and he says you know it came from somewhere and you know it went somewhere but you don't know it directly you can only know it by the effects that it creates and so in each of us there is this elemental force for that which is proper for humans and if you turn yourself over to that energetic flow in you then that power will process those things out of your structure. Kutsha. We could say in our modern language almost a super processor. Nicodemus wasn't aware of the super processor. And it's interesting to watch how the Greek fear-based translations can turn things so backward. So we hear about this and, and over the years I've worked with so many people who, I remember one man who was in his 70s, and he was starting to look at, thinking about, you know, my lifetime is, is getting short, and he was sure that he was going to hell for eternity. Because as a young man, as a teenager, he did what he considered to be the denial of the Holy Spirit. And he was sure that that's where he was going to burn for eternity. And there's nothing in the Aramaic about the denial of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin, or the denial of the force for that which is proper. What it says is, in essence, let's let's kind of do a long form of it. In your carbon-based memory system, your body's structure is made of carbon, six electrons, six six protons, six neutrons, and anything that's put in there that doesn't belong there is stored holographically in every cell and passed from generation to generation. So we've got four generations, we're told, in there. That's 31 lives. If you've got 31 lives in there, and then remember again, last night, we talked about 10,000 brain cells firing, nine bits of data can come to conscious awareness in these pictures that we paint behind our eyeballs. How long do you suppose, if there's a pattern in your family system, it's going to take you processing nine bits of data at a time to get through it? Not likely to happen anytime soon. What that passage says is, is, is being explained, is that you have a power in you that if you invite her into activity in you, she will process you right down to your genetic toes. The denial of that power will leave you in unforgiveness. You won't have the capacity to process that much information. It isn't unforgivable. There's nothing like that, but it if you're not able to call that power into play in you, if you can't acknowledge that it's there and invite it into activity, then you're on your own. And on your own, it's a pretty stuck place to be. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But there is literally an elemental force in each of us that if we call it into activity... And, you know, when, when it always amazes me when I watch people do the forgiveness worksheet process from why is this happening to me again. So often, somebody starts that worksheet out and there's this big, oh, messy, you know, arms going in every which way, hate, fear, anger, rage, guilt, grief. And literally four minutes after they do the forgiveness process, they're like, well, why was that such a big deal? And where did it go? And it's gone. Probably the most common comment that I get from people, I don't know if you've done this when you've done the worksheet with people, but when I ask people, how do you feel after you've done the forgiveness process compared to before? And before it's all these emotions and all this stuff, and literally four minutes later it's, you know, it's silly that I ever had any disturbance about that. And the truth is, you've never had any disturbance about anything you've just been disturbed. Your mind can put it anywhere. When you enter into forgiveness and you call on that force for that which is proper, that force for that which is proper can take a lifetime of trauma in 35 seconds or less and disappear it. Don't quote me as some kind of literal number. Just, Just disappear it. And on the other side of it, people are laughing at something that they were... Extremely traumatized about just minutes ago But you can't do that on your own our own P brain can't do that level of process work and so when I can Acknowledge that power is in me and can move through me and undo what doesn't belong untie me or liberate me from those things Everything changes
4: oh, yeah uh, if it it's right in with it, so Hmm. You know, it's, it, it's amazing. Uh, the Nicodemus thing is funny. He came under the cover of night with his... Well, it didn't say with his tail between his legs. You know, the leader of the Jews saying, I heard there's some sort of a big deal and I wanted to come and talk to you. But it's intriguing how when he says the wind comes and goes, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to, that word's rucha. And then it says, as it is with spirit. What hand gesture... Wind, he can go like this. What hand gesture would he have to make for spirit? You know, what would he have to do? Foreign concept in the first century. He would have probably gone as it is with ruha, as in breath. Remember, breath and spirit were artificially separated later. Not yet. Okay? He probably would have gone... And he also says, of course, you must be reborn of maya and ruha. maya as in water. But intriguingly, that word maya, what it really means is great flowing expanse. It's at the end of shemaya, which is the word heaven must be reborn of the all and its movement, its elemental forces. And, you know, there's another thing that's hooked on so often that I get asked about. People say, all right, but what about born again? What does it say in Aramaic? And what I would also say to a biblical scholar is, what does it say in Greek? So, interesting. That phrase in Aramaic, another thing he said in John 3 to Nicodemus, is that you must be Metelid man darish. Okay? What does that mean? That word rish or "race" means head. Now let me explain what head means, okay? It doesn't mean this. People can say born of the crown chakra. That's nice. It could be that. It could be part of it. This was called the Christ chakra in Gnosticism, okay? That's a good one. That makes sense. But let's look. As a matter of fact, that's what Christos means, open channel of divinity. Now here's Ted. Uh, in the Gospel of Thomas, not allowed in the Bible, in the Gospel of Thomas, and I will say Thomas is not a person, Thomas is Tumas, which in Aramaic means twin, meaning this is a reflection of the fundamental guy that's been kind of shown for the last couple of decades. Okay, here we're showing a reflection. If you're at the head of a line, where are you? Beginning. The beginning, right? Or, we naturally say beginning first. There's another head on the line. The end. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. I am projected into this world and not of it. Now let me explain head to you. First of all, the head means the beginning. It's the beginning of a cosmic expansion. Okay. The head, as an example, what they asked you, him in the Gospel of Thomas, they said, can you tell us how our end will come? And although it doesn't say chuckle, I assume he probably chuckled and said, okay, have you actually found the beginning that now you're looking for the end? And he said, blessed is the one who takes his place in the beginning at the head. For he will know the end or the head or leading edge and he will not taste death. Remember, he came to crucify the world, the cosmos, Alma. He came to crucify our belief in time and space and inside and out, and light and dark, and positive and negative. These are all qualities of a singular continuum. They are not anything that is separate, because if you take one away, the other is gone. Okay? And there's actually a a word I'd like to share with you. Berashit. This is the first word of the Torah. It's the first word of the Torah. It's also the beginning of the Gospel of John. One thing a lot of people don't realize is that This is to expand on the idea of the head, the beginning and the end. A lot of people don't realize that the original Hebrew Torah, which of course begins in Genesis, Bereshit, with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, even higher than 30. 913 clear and distinctly separate ways that you can translate that from Hebrew into English or Hebrew into Greek. Interesting. Not many people realize that this is it in Hebrew, this is it in Aramaic. Same pronunciation. Most people don't realize that the original Hebrew Torah was not words and verses and phrases. That came hundreds of years later. It was actually a string of characters like a mathematical algorithm or a constant like pi. Okay? And it wasn't broken down into the metaphor, more metaphorical storyline of in the beginning God created heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve and snakes and Cain and Abel and all this other stuff until hundreds of years, possibly over a thousand years later. Okay? because it was just a string of characters. And they didn't read the characters, they toned the characters. They still tone them to this day, okay? Now, what's amazing about Semitic languages is each letter has a meaning. And it's amazing that the very deep nuance of, the, of Genesis is unpacked by the realization that what they would do is they would tone each letter individually unto itself but the gist was much like George Seurat or a pointillism painting. When you're in close, you see smashes of paint, and you get so obsessive about detail, but the key is being able to pull back and holistically see the whole. So they would tone each letter and also be in that flow and be able to, as much as possible, take in the fullest nuance of the text. Now, this is something that's going to unpack the inside-outside beginning and being reborn from the head thing a lot better than you could even imagine that it is. There's a reason why it's at the beginning, and I really think the Gospel of John should have been at the beginning of, of the canonical Gospels, but of course they put Matthew there because they had all the begatting. The funny thing about all the begatting is they're showing you Jesus' bloodline, right? Right? Who's his father? God. Does he have a bloodline? That's number one. Number two, who's right before Jesus in the bloodline? Joseph, his stepfather. They're not showing you Jesus' bloodline. They're showing you Joseph's stepfather. Hello, McFly. Pick one, y'all. Stick to the story. You go to Luke, they do the same thing, but they do it in reverse, and it goes Jesus to Joseph and goes all the way from Adam to God. It's not his bloodline. That's an example of a secret, something that's right under your nose that you've seen a thousand times but you never thought about before. There's a lot of that stuff. Now, Bet, vresh aleph, shin yod Tav. Okay? That's what we've got here. Berashit. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you a very simple process of the letter meanings of each of these letters, okay? And this is just one word we're going to do it with, all right? So I'm going to ask you to just pay attention for just a couple of minutes. It's not going to take long. Now, the first one is bait or bet. When you know in the, in the beginning, in the is the word bet or bait, okay? Now, I'm going to have to erase this. Michael knows I get all... Excited and passionate about this stuff. He doesn't get excited and passionate, though. Yes, he does. There we go. woo You trying to erase me? <laughs> now, this is what the letter... This is what the letter bait means, okay? And intriguingly, bait or is it's also a word in Latin. It means this. It means house, okay? Now, this in proto the earliest style of writing that we have, bait meant, ha, means house. It still does to this day. And it looks like this. It looked like a house. But let me explain something to you. House, bait, when you know bait lachem, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Okay? Interesting. House, bait, doesn't mean... Just a building with bricks and structures and walls. Take a breath. What it means is it's the differentiation between the inside and the outside. The object of my attention appears to have an inside and an outside. Light, dark, positive, negative, masculine, feminine. It also means burst open. It's the root of the word blessing. Okay. And I said yesterday, it says that we were born as the original blessing of life itself. Okay? So we've got burst open as its own blessing from inside to its outside. All right? The next letter is resh. Resh is the word head. It means leading edge, or it means source or leading edge. Head, okay? You know what's amazing? The original letter looked like this. It was a neck with head on it. Hmm. Interesting. So, next letter is aleph. Aleph is actually the... First letter, Well, rather than writing the letter, is actually the first letter of the Hebrew and Aramaic alphabets. And it sounds like this. Listen closely, okay? It doesn't have a sound, technically.
3: <laughs>
4: it is often pronounced like this, though. Ah, ah. Okay? Now, this aleph is put in words to keep a word in motion... Part of it, there's a symbolic depth to it, which I'm going to get to, but it's not the same as having a space there, even if it's not spoken. But the difference is that you keep it moving, okay? You stay in motion. Now, what Aleph meant was ox. Wow! That's the key to the cosmos, is ox. huh? The original letter looked like this, okay? This was the original letter for Aleph. What does that look like? It looks like an ox. Why? Because... Then and now, the ox was considered to be an animal in agrarian societies, agricultural societies, that was so tremendously powerful because it didn't just have strong haunches or shoulders or back or legs, but rather that it gained its tremendous strength only when it was in a state of absolute wholeness. Strength only comes when we are holistic and whole. That's where power comes from. That's where all power comes from. That was represented by the sound ah, which was aleph, which is everything. It's the whole ball game. Are you getting what I'm saying? And then we've got the letter shin or sheen. Now what's interesting about this one, I'm just going to put it below. It looked like this. This is literally the original letter. It meant shine, sheen, or express. It was a lip with teeth underneath it. We're going back about eight to 10,000 years right now. Okay? It means shine, sheen, or express. Whoa. The next letter was yod, which means hand. When it says in the Gospel of John, nothing existed except through his hands, beada, ada, or yeda in Aramaic, that doesn't mean that God's got a workbench up there and he's building the world. What it means is everything you see is God. There's no outside God. There's no outside presence. There's no all-powerful anything except that which you have not opened up your awareness to. Okay? But that yod means to reach out. It means to reach out. The original letter looked like this. It was an arm with fingers on the end of it, a hand. And it meant reach out. And then the last letter looked like this. Just two lines next to each other. That word means reflection or echo of itself. Now, if you just look at the word Bereshit, and then I'm going to turn this back to Michael, this is just the first word of the Bible. Okay, You've got Reshit, which is a woven net that a fisherman would use, and the Reshit, or Reshit, it would be squeezed down, and they would throw it, and it would go like this, Reshit. That's what Reshit means, the casting out of a net. Okay? In the middle is rish, which means head or leading edge. Reshi literally means at the leading edge of the rushing headwaters. Kind of like you're going down a mountain stream and you're surfing the leading edge of the cosmos. You ever have that feeling when you're so fully, wholly present right now in this moment at your center that you feel as if you're at the leading edge of all creation? That's what it means to be born again. Literally, looking at this word, there's also or Ash, which is an expanding fire, bursting open as its own blessing from the head or leading edge of everything to shine, sheen, express, and reach out to become its own reflection. That's just the first word of the Bible. Do you think maybe we missed something? That's what wholeness means. You get it? <gasps>
3: <gasps> I got the paper. And you can't figure it out.
4: Yeah, your brain can't hold it. Forget you gotta
3: it. You've got to be in the energy of it. You, you're triggering me the, uh, the memory of uh, something that Carl Jung said that I think was so powerful. And he says, who looks without. of course, looking without means you paint a picture on the inside of your eyeballs and you think you're looking at something out there. Who looks without dreams. Who looks within awakens. And when you start looking within, when you let this take you within, when you let your breath take you within, then everything is transformed. Everything changes. And there comes a space for wholeness into this expression. Hmm. Pretty cool. And you can't do it by keeping your attention on what's in your brain. You actually have to ultimately repent. Does that mean you have to proclaim yourself a worthless sinner and a... Repent! Sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't want to do it. (laughs) So it means to turn another way. You look at people who are looking without, as Carl Jung said, we think it's out there, and we're in a dream. We're stuck, we're lost in a dream. And you want to turn your vision 180 degrees in the other direction. To look within and see that the source of the world that you live in the source of the construct for those who weren't here yesterday we quoted from a CIA website where they're working to understand how to get the best perception possible from their analysts to get the best intelligence possible and what they literally say is that we do not record reality we construct reality And every reality that you see through your body's eyes is painted on the inside of your eyeballs from what's moving inside of you. If you never get beyond what's painted on the inside of your eyeballs, then you'll live forever in a dream. And the horror, the dream of the world is, somebody else did this to me and therefore I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, there's nothing I can do. When you give up looking without at the dream, and you repent, you turn in another direction. You awaken from the dream because you're now directly in touch with the root of the dream. You bring your human life, the active presence of love and the breath, to the dream, and the dream starts to dissolve. Then you get a set of directions that comes from a different place. You know, we, we spoke yesterday about the Creator. They're saying they say the Creator is omnipresent. If the Creator is omnipresent, is in every corner of the universe there's that active presence of love, and the physicists, as we said yesterday, tell us that every molecule in the universe is in continuous communication with every molecule in the universe. Is it possible that when we can collapse our preoccupation, that is forgive our preoccupation with what's out there, drop within and remove it, then we move into whole field perception where we are literally guided by these energy forces that come from the Creator through the whole creation and therefore we, our structure, our realities are structured out of literally the energy field of the Creator, the mind of the Creator rather than the mind of your body. When you move there you get to live in the present and the reason they call it a present is because Whenever you're there, there's a gift, there's a present, and it is that active presence of love that will clean up everything in your structure that never belonged there.
4: Thoughts? Just one little piece, uh, literally. Um, just two little pieces, then. Okay. You know, one of the things that I I had a dear friend. This is going back in the early '90s. His name was Michael Talbot. Uh, we lost Michael to leukemia, a really rare form of leukemia, I, I you know, um, had such a uh, an amazing relationship with him. He lived up in New York Center City. He had a book that he wrote called The Holographic Universe. And one of the things about Michael is uh, he did lots of research into the holographic nature of reality, which, of course, has been something that's been out there for probably a a hundred years really fully formed on one level or another, but it's an amazing thing that if you take a whole holographic plate that has a three-dimensional image in it, and this is an actual true laser hologram. A laser hologram, you can aim the laser in and actually encode the information in that holographic plate, and if you give just the slightest degree of shift, you can put another whole, full image, and another, one and another, and another, another. Like these infinite dimensions, the mansions of many mansions that we live in right now, all of these infinite images can be shown in this laser plate. And you shine the laser in at whatever angle it is, and you'll see the one that went in at that degree. What's most beautiful about this is if you take a nature, uh, holographic plate and you drop it, and it shatters into thousands of pieces on the ground, and you shine a laser into every single sliver and splinter that it broke into, you can put it at the exact same angle and see all of those images wholly and holistically in their entirety on each sliver. But there does become a point when the slivers or the breaks become small enough that the laser will no longer be able to perceive the image of holism anymore. There's a point when that doesn't mean it's not there, but it's almost impossible to perceive anymore in the world and locked in it. Separateness. Exactly. And that brings me to the the, the second point, which is this. John 3.16, let me just say it clearly, without going into all the studies there are, that it was actually a a right-hand marginal note that was integrated into uh, 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 a copy of it. The Gospel of John, Yohanan was originally called the Gospel of the Beloved Disciple. John 3.16, everybody, you see it all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting or eternal life. And I just would love to just get this one thing out there very briefly, and I'll show it to you in English. Okay? This is the word in Aramaic. Yehud-ayah, yehud or Echadaya. This is the word in Greek, mono, monogonais. Now, what does mono mean? One. One. What does gonais mean? Gona, gona. Gones. Birth, born. Only born, only begotten. Now here's an interesting thing, okay? Does anybody know when monogenes was defined as only begotten in John 3.16. We know the exact year that it was given its definition. Monogenes was already in the text of the Gospel of John. They didn't define it until the 4th century in 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. And they picked four possible definitions and they chose one out of a hat. The one that they chose was only begotten and Constantine was very clear that the reason they chose it was because Horus was known as only begotten in ancient Egypt and he knew people would eat the story that much easier. It's not a secret. Research it. Interesting. You know what it means in Aramaic? Yah means who? It's a point back to Yahweh the, the oneness, the wholeness. It doesn't mean who as in you, who, person, but rather the I within the I, the who behind the who. Okay? Chud in Aramaic is literally the word one. It's the word one in Aramaic. It's the number one. Okay? Ayah, is an interesting word because it's in many languages. And what ayah means is something that has no beginning and no ending, much like a vine. Something that... Is growing, 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 and it's one with everything. It's always in a process of oneness. It's always in a process. On one level, it's on a process of oneness. On another level, it's of a proce- on a pro- in a process, you know, in what seems to be the physical world of constant growth. It never stops expanding. Yuh-hud-ayah, one who is absolutely single and one with everything. There's no such thing as a begotten. In it, there is no begotten, because begotten implies what? Two. There's no two in the word. It actually says one. Intriguing. Think of the pain and the torture and the suffering that's been done in the name of John 3.16, because people think other people don't get it, when, bless their hearts, even ministers who have been in the pulpit for six or seven decades of their life and they've gone to the theological institutions and they've got all the numbers and letters behind their name, they don't even know the history of their own religion. I say that with absolute love and peace. It's time for us to wake up because ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is blindness. And believe it or not, you're the only game in town because there's only one. Okay,
3: let's look at the opening words in the book of John. We're told that it says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. In Aramaic, it's something much more profound than just speaking a word. There are a couple of different ways to translate it, and one of them is mind energy, and the other one is willed action. And when you you think about that, and then, you know, so often now today, we get the benefit of the world of physics and the world of physiology and research, that goes into the science of it and it all starts to make sense. Now, there's a a video that we carry with an interview with a fellow named Bruce Lipton who's a cell biologist. And when I first was introduced to Bruce, it was after I'd done a television interview up in New York and this gentleman said, are you familiar with Bruce Lipton? This is back 20 years ago before Bruce was very popular. I said, no, and he says, well, he's a cell biologist. He's doing the same work you are. It's like, really, a cell biologist doing what I'm doing? And when I, and he handed me his video, said, here, watch this. And I was just amazed at what unfolded. And one of the main things that Bruce talks about on that particular video is that when you think a thought, that thought becomes a molecule in your structure. Actually, Deepak Chopra speaks about that action as the non-physical becoming physical. Mind energy becomes flesh. Willed action becomes flesh. And so what he's showing is that you think a thought, and that thought becomes a molecule. The molecule circulates around in your structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, an antenna that matches, and then it lands on the cell. Now, what the cell biologists are saying is that this cell then replicates the neuropeptide. I don't believe the cell replicates the neuropeptide. If you look at my hands in the other direction, when the cell, when the uh, molecule finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, it inserts itself in the cell. And what shows up in the cell is what we call chemistry. So this thing is chemistry. In fact, what it is is the energetic pattern. And this part of it solidified looks like chemistry in the cell, but it's really a whole energetic pattern and when it comes to forgiveness and you recognize that your energetic pattern your multi-generational database has the mind energy of every generation in your bloodline the skill that ultimately you need to develop if you're really going to perfect the skill of forgiveness is you're going to have to learn to go inside of those cells to decode their content and remove the ones that have become your flesh that don't belong in human form. So the skill to be acquired is a skill of being able to go inside and retrieve from your genetic structure. You know, when the geneticists first started researching, they told us that you know, it was 95% junk DNA. There's no junk DNA. I think the official numbers are now down to about 60% of its junk. There's no junk. It's just the history of your bloodline when they said the sins of the fathers will be passed to three and four generations again that word sins is just an archery term it just means off the mark anything that's off the mark is an energy that's stored holographically and lands in the cell it lands in the genes and is passed from generation to generation and so when you learn the skill of being able to reach in and it only comes with the, one of the main skills that uh, Dale's been speaking about Can I borrow that skill for a minute? Mm -hmm. When you breathe. And that opens the veil, the barrier, between what we don't want to be aware of and what we are aware of. There are certain things that we've approved and said, I'm willing to look at this. But when something starts to move in us that we don't want to look at, what we generally do is hold the breath. And holding the breath causes us to dissociate from that mind energy and to no longer be able to decode it. The problem with doing that is because you live in an energetic universe and everything that is in your structure is literally energy in motion and sets up energy waves, then because resonance means motion toward, somebody who's in resonance with that mind energy in you is going to show up in your life. The person with the decoder for what you don't want to decode It's going to show up in your life. And you're not going to be happy when they show up because what they do is going to resonate everything you don't want to feel or decode. And so what happens is people shut down the breath. They create an artificial barrier, a veil in their temples. This isn't about a purple curtain in the church when they said, the veil of the temple must be rent in twain. The veil is created by locking down and creating this artificial barrier and creating a dissociated mind. A mind that we cannot touch. A mind that is not ours to change. So the very things that you most want to change in your life, as long as you stay in denial, they're hidden from you. And denial looks like you made me. When there's a problem inside that we keep creating pictures of something that we think is outside, Then, as Carl Jung said, we live in a dream. We live in the dream that everybody else is doing it to us. But there's there's a really important piece of the puzzle that we miss. While we're out there proclaiming how everybody else did it to us, we're still feeling the pain of it. Now there's a test we've developed in this work for determining whether or not something you're feeling is yours or not and the test goes like this are you feeling it (laughs) if you're feeling it you know it belongs to only one person if you have the capacity for hostility fear turmoil rage guilt grief pain or trauma it's because it is an energy in your structure and until you're willing to capture that and remove it and it is a skill I remember several years ago I I bought a computer online got the computer, hooked it up, and there was a problem with it. I called tech support and the tech support people said, you know, we can't do this overline, you're going to have to send it back to us. So I sent it back and they ostensibly fixed it. I got it back, plugged it in, it was exactly the same. Got online with tech support, sent it back, and they ostensibly fixed it, plugged it in, it was the same. My son did his computer training with a, a, a former NASA computer scientist, who was a genius with computers but had several businesses going and he's a, a good friend of mine and I didn't like to disturb him but after the second time of the company that owned the computer built the computer when they couldn't fix it I called Graham and Graham I've got a problem with this computer can you help me he says, sure what's going on and so I explained it to him. he says well go to a C prompt I said what's the prompt and he explained how to get to that and he gave me a string of characters to type in and I typed them in And he said, read that back to me. So I read back what came up. He said, okay, type this in. Read that back to me. What's it say? I read it back to him. He said, okay, type this in. It's fixed. Graham, come on. You're kidding me. No, it's fixed. Well, how come that... Michael, it's fixed. Now, how does a NASA computer scientist know that it's fixed? He's developed such skills. You know you know where Tiger Woods was today one of the best golfers in the world you know where he was today he was on the golf course he was chipping shots he was putting he was driving if you want to become a master of your life if you want life and you want it more abundantly then you're going to have to go over the, after that set of skills in the same way as a Tiger Woods or the same way as this friend of mine Graham had and as you develop the skill of breathing in the presence of your trauma of opening to it and moving it you open the veil of your temple you open the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious and you have access to those things that never belong in your bloodline when you have access to those things that never belong in your bloodline you remove them you forgive them you no longer put those things into your brains image of your brother what did Yeshua say? You must forgive from your heart, your unconscious, that which you put into your brain's image of everybody else. And you want to believe everybody else is the source of your disturbance. If you're still capable of disturbance, you have a problem. You ever say to somebody, you made me mad. You hurt me. You disturbed me. You, you really have a problem. You ever say that to somebody? I have a question for you. If you're the one with the problem why are you the one with the pain do you think pain belongs in a device made by love it doesn't but your brain can lie to you and make up pictures of how something outside of you is the cause of what's going on inside of you the skill you need to be developed is the skill of accessing everything that never belonged in your bloodline and removing it so that no matter who shows up no matter what shows up you're not capable of pain that all that is incarnate in your form is the active presence of love your human life and if you believe it's about anything else then you have got all kinds of dramas and traumas that you blame everybody else for and it's time for us to learn to literally remove the capacity for any form of drama and trauma. You must forgive from your unconscious, from your heart, from your dissociated mind, that which you put into your brain's image of everybody else whenever it's triggered. And you'll notice when people do that, they usually start with their enemies. But if there's no enemy handy, they can use their spouse. And if their spouse isn't handy, they can use that child that was so dear to them or any object of attention will do. You remember the forerunner to this mind that was in Christ was who? John the Baptist. What did they call John the Baptist? He was the raving maniac in the desert. The desert is another code word for the unconscious. If you want to truly live in the mind of love, you're going to have to meet your John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one who can reach into your unconscious and show you everything that you never wanted to deal with, everything that you never wanted to feel. Now, there were two skills, if you ever decide to play that role for somebody, there were two skills that John had not bothered to develop. And that was, before he confronted someone who was living in a lie, who still had the capacity for some sort of turmoil, confusion, or pain, He confronted them, and when you confront someone in that state with truth, their stress goes up. And most people have their stress attached to the source of the information that shows truth. And they want to get rid of it. So John didn't know when to duck and when to hold the mirror up. And they took off his head. Be careful when your stuff comes up to own it and stop taking off other people's heads. Stop talking about anybody else if you're in pain or turmoil. Because talking about someone else when you're in pain or turmoil is called denial. And when you deny, you dissociate. And what you dissociate from is the only thing that will kill you. If there is a frequency in your cellular structure that can cause disturbance or disease, then you need John the Baptist to bring it up for you. And then you need to
4: breathe. The veil of the temple was rent and twain. The veil in the doorway of the temple was rent and twain from top to bottom. Ape Tarea de Haikla? The veil of the temple. First of all, you know he mentioned a purple curtain in the doorway of the church. It's nice and there's validity in making a building and putting a curtain there and making the inside of that the holiest of holies and only the high priest can go in there. Whether they actually demonstrate true cosmic love or not, it's just the way it is. Those are the rules. But let's get clear that the holiest of holies is right here. Now, ape tarea de heikla. Heikla is the word for temple. It's the word for church. Haya, I kind of give you haya. Give it abundantly. Said that yesterday quite a few times. Um, the word save is haya. Salvation is haya. Resurrection is haya. All these different words that have been translated in all these strange sort of evangelical Christian ways, it's all the same word, and every single one means conscious life energy. When you have Heikla, Kla is the K, and La, it's, it's a gathering of conscious life energy, and that's the body temple. It's also the word for church, a word for church or sanctuary. But let's go back a little bit. the de Heikla. Torea is a word that a lot of people skip over. They just say the veil of the temple but it's the veil in the doorway of the temple. That word tarea means door, doorway, doorkeeper, or portal. A portal is an opening between two dimensions, between two rooms, between the inside and the outside, whatever you say. Portal, interesting. Go back one more word, which is ape, and this is the word for veil. Um, Ape. Now, pe is an Aramaic letter that means from the mouth. Okay? It means from the mouth, ape. Intriguingly, when Yeshua said, that in which you judge another, you are guilty of practicing, right after that he called them something. What did he say? He called them a he- hypocrite. Hypocrite. Hypocrite sounds like this in Aramaic, ape. It means to puff out from the mouth. Ape also means this. It means veil. We just said that. Ape also means sake. Like for your sake, Johnny, don't run out into the road. What does that mean for your what? Safety. safety. For your, I would say for your apparent safety. Ah, sounds like A Course in Miracles talking about the safety of the ego, which has no safety in it whatsoever. So we've got veil, we've got hypocrite, we've got sake. But there's something a little closer to that. It also means person. Person in English comes from the Latin word persona, which means mask. Now the ape in the first century was a mask that an actor would wear in a divine play. They would show up on stage with that mask on and by the end of the play they would drop their mask and reveal their true inner light and absolute eternal divinity. When someone heard him say ape, they would not have heard hypocrite. That's an English word. They wouldn't have heard veil. That's an English word. They wouldn't have heard sake. That's an English word. What would have been going on for them was, oh, I get it. It's the mask that we wear. You getting what I'm saying? In other words, it's not you that judges the other. It's your mask. It's your, where the 666 was. It's your anti-Christ. It's anything Christ, remember, Christos, look in Strong's Greek concordance, open channel of divinity. Okay, If you look at that in Greek, anything that blocks the portal is Antichrist. Anything. Anything that keeps you from being open is Antichrist. And you know what's really convenient? If you try to spend decades and hundreds or thousands of years looking and labeling an outside Antichrist, you know what that does? It enables you to make somebody else the perpetrator. It makes you the victim and now you can fight against them so that you don't have to take care of any of the dynamics that are already running around in your heart. What is it that uh, Gandhi said? There are no devils in the world except those running around in our own hearts. And I love, Yeshua said in the Gospel of Thomas, that which you bring forth from within you will save you. That which you do not bring forth from within will destroy you. Hmm. Nice.
3: And they said, take care of the heart For out of it are the issues in life. Now notice if you live in the outer eye, you think the issues in your life are somebody else, right? Anybody ever said that to somebody? You made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid. Most of the world has this belief that if somebody else hadn't done something, I could be at peace. And that's a lie. The only reason I can't be at peace and in connection with the actual presence of the love that I am and that I live, move and have my being in is because there's something in me that I don't want to deal with and that which is in me that I don't want to deal with literally creates a high-energy wave that if it's of a destructive nature, of an hostility or fear-based nature literally is radiating into every cell of my structure continuously and destroying me. So if I speak a word about my disturbance as being your fault, I'm destroying my own cellular structure. And so it's out of my heart, it's out of what I hold within my own denial system, my own dissociated mind, that energetically draws the issues to me that I need to deal with. And then somebody shows up, and what does virtually everybody in the world do when somebody shows up that resonates their disturbance? Well, let me explain to you what's wrong with you. Let me explain to you what you just did to hurt me, to cause me pain. And Yeshua would say, you must forgive from your heart that which you just put into your brain's image of your brother. And as you go in and remove that, and the basic thing that drives the mind to produce the pictures that it does on the inside of our eyeballs. Remember we talked about 10,000 brain cells fire, nine bits of data go into perception. Something drives that system. And when you know what drives that system and what to do with it, then you change that whole system. And what drives it is our goals. You'll notice you've never been upset with somebody who's meeting all your goals. If they say everything the way you want them to say it, they do everything the way you want them to do it, they bring what you want them to bring, and they obey every infantile goal you have for them, notice you're quite happy with them. But when someone violates a goal you have for them, what happens is that goal becomes a driver that causes your mind to use your own dissociated content to build a picture on the inside of your eyeballs that makes it look like it's about them. The core of the forgiveness process, but the core of the forgiveness process looks like this. When I load a goal into my mind that causes my mind to use some kind of disturbing energy in me, hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, pain, confusion, whatever it is, when I load a goal that causes my mind to move that energy in me, then I build pictures out of that energy of somebody else and talk about them. That's denial. In Aramaic, the word forgive is shabag or shabak, and it means to cancel. When I realize that what's driving my perceptual system to use my dissociated hostility or fear to produce my brain's image of another, I now live in a dream, as Carl Jung said, who looks without dreams. I live in this dream that everybody else is the problem in my life, and therefore there's no resolution when I recognize it's my goal that drives the dream then I shabag the goal. I cancel the goal. Which seems totally insane. But when I realize that that goal is driving my perceptual system to use my internal information based in hostility, fear, confusion, rage, whatever it is, then by canceling my goal I collapse the whole projection. And when this projection collapses in on itself I drop right into the part of my mind that holds the disintegrative energy, the sin, the energy that's off the mark, that doesn't belong in me. So I open a pathway into that dissociated part of my mind, and as I do, I'm able to bring that information, instead of bringing it forward as pictures of everybody else, by going within, as Jung said, now I've awakened. I'm in direct relationship with that energy. I bring it to the presence of active love, my human life, I ask Rukhudakusha, the super processor, for support and all of a sudden I process through that and my temple is freed from that. I've opened the veil of my temple with forgiveness and removed what didn't belong. And that's all been misinterpreted to be about some kind of building 2,000 years ago. And it becomes irrelevant to who you are today. Are you still capable of any former hostility or fear? Notice that when it comes up, you talk about somebody else. That's the whole game of the world. Buy into the world's denial system and make it everybody else's fault. We can never drop into the part of us that is our disease and heal it. You've got to crack open the veil. It's done with forgiveness. It seems totally backward to have a perfectly wonderful, awesome, sweet, tremendous goal and cancel it. But I collapse the picture that keeps me focused out there, thinking the problem's out there, and I get to drop into where the real problem is. And when I remove what disturbs my peace of mind, then I get to incarnate as a human being. There's work to be done. That part of your mind. And then invite Rukha Dukudja to assist you to process whatever that's about. It's the most amazing process you'll ever see when you actually use it. First century Aramaic forgiveness.
4: One of the strangest things that I really, I, I, you know, that brought up a lot of stuff for me that I had to remove so that I didn't recreate it within my own system, I was really, I was flabbergasted when I got deep into these, some of these scholarly realms and into these rooms, and I was so, it, it completely made no sense to me how. I saw these theological frames and fences that were passed down for thousands of years and how there was almost, almost no one who was interested in moving those frameworks to the side and say maybe, just possibly over the course of 2,000 years, maybe one little thing here and there was possibly not quite correct. Maybe there's just a couple of things that aren't quite, completely in high fidelity but you know what you can only hold so many corks on a lake down and now that the internet is out and everything on the internet is true right (laughs) now that the internet's out here you can't stop it anymore it's out there and it's coming out and the young ones that are coming in they don't have the indoctrination i realize i'm not doing this for us anymore i'm doing this honestly for the young ones i'm doing this to help us let go and be open and forgive what's in our hearts so that they can come in and we don't need to indoctrinate them and drug them down and dumb them down and dump all this garbage on top of their heads to feed the economic, political, and religious beast anymore. We can just let them be exactly who they are. And that's exactly what all of the Yeshua teachings are about. And to know that I'm right here beside you, it's like, come on, with Mikael, the great angel himself. So. so notice
3: that many of the things that we've said here tonight and last night For your non-being mind are hard things to hear. Two thousand years ago, they said to Yeshua, what do we have to do? What's it look like? And what he said in an idiom was, you're going to have to live like I'm living. You're going to have to live as the active presence of love. But you'll notice that half of his audience left his tutelage, saying, this is too hard a saying to hear. You mean I have to give up my rage, my guilt, my hate, my fear, my confusion, my blame? I have to be responsible for that and give it up and live his love? Too hard a saying, I'm not interested in doing that work, I'm out of here. And half of his audience left. If you found hard sayings here, we're going to invite you not to believe a word that either of us have said. We're going to invite you to take the tool of forgiveness, put them to work in your life, and watch what happens. You'll have your own direct experience. And our goal here is to take you into the direct experience where you're in touch with your inner teacher, your inner tutor, and you live your life as the active presence of love.